Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, we said we'd do two this week to help get caught up. Uh, one, we have a ton of news uh, for the first one that we tried to cover. And uh, two, we had a ton of listener questions, and that will be the general focus of uh, this podcast. So we'll jump right into it. Uh, as always, we thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce, uh, title sponsor of the Nolcast, and uh, Tarpon Sellers. Tarpon Sellers has been a uh, partner of the Nolcast previously, people that we're ever so fortunate to be able to pair with. I think we'll have a coupon code for you guys uh, as of our next podcast, uh, and you can start to get a little more familiar uh, with that brand line of product and uh, good people, again, that have uh, been long supporters of the Nolcast and uh, folks that we uh, are certainly appreciative of. So, Bud, got about 12, 13 questions here. Some of these are a little bit dated. Uh, but I did try to keep them in if there are still topics that are uh, I either thought our listening base would be interesting for us to touch on the first time or if they are still, um, you know, kind of pertinent to the conversation that we're having at the time. So uh, with that, we'll jump into them. Dude, let's do it, man. Uh, by the way, shout out to the FSU softball team. Tough game going right now against an Oklahoma team that is really uh, apparently historically good. I, I didn't know that Oklahoma was that good. I don't follow women's softball on a national scale that much, but I, I asked Twitter, like, how good are they? And basically the response was like, uh, they're like an all-time great offensive team. Uh, they also beat up on teams quite a lot, especially in the non-conference that are just, if you don't have great pitching, they're just going to keep hitting until the 10-run uh, the rule comes into effect, like they did early in the season against New Mexico, where they beat New Mexico 33-4. to Ooh. 33 to four. That'll make you feel good. Certainly. What, 17 or seven games in the non-conference where they scored at least 17 runs? In, and granted, a lot of times they're only doing that in four innings. So that's uh, that's pretty impressive. And if you got them last night, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Shout out to the, uh, the women's softball team and shout out to our international listeners in Hawaii. Mahalo. But yeah, a pitcher or player left Hawaii and decided to come to the U.S., which is uh, always good to hear. Impressive. So to all of you international listeners, particularly those out in Hawaii, we are always appreciative of the downloads and listenership. Absolutely, man. That's uh, We need to pitch that to our advertiser. We, we, we now have international reach because we, we do have a decent number of listeners in, in, in Hawaii. Yeah, got a decent amount of international coverage there. So uh, Jeff joins us in uh, sending out a huge shout out to the softball team. Uh, but his question is, uh, he asks if there's any chance that we see a change at the helm for the baseball team. I don't think so. I'm not going to pretend like I have super insider information on this, but and maybe I'll have egg on my face for saying this, but I, I have not heard any actual rumblings that there's going to be a change with the baseball team. And they, they, they obviously made the postseason this year, didn't have a good postseason, some embarrassing defensive play throughout the year. It probably is worth noting that this was a team that was likely going to be really, really good last year, but due to COVID, didn't get the chance to, you know, to play and finish their season. So I feel for them on, in, in that regard, you definitely want to see better out of FSU baseball. I know this answer is probably pretty generic, but I, I just, have you heard anything about, about them making a change? Because I, I have not. It would be a surprise to me if they did. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think there's a one, there's a decent excitement about some of the recruiting that's going on there. Um, and I don't think, uh, you know, Florida State's in a, in a place to be real aggressive with coaching changes in general right now. 
Uh, but you're certainly going to let that play out, I think. And um, that's a, you know, there's a little bit of a general evaluation of baseball that needs to take place uh, with the athletic department, in my opinion, uh, from a facility standpoint and everything else. Uh, I don't think that you jump into any kind of quick coaching change here. So, All right. Uh, Austin fires this one off. Knowing what we know now about last year's team, if FSU were to have played its original schedule, what do you think our record would have been? Um, I, this is going to be one of those answers that I don't think does us a lot of favors with, uh, with some of our listeners, but You're so negative, man. I know, uh, I don't three and whatever, maybe four. I mean, look, you were, you know, in all honesty, pretty lucky to win the UNC game. Uh, if you think about some of those games that you didn't have to play, uh, like Florida Clemson, uh, and others, I don't, I don't know that there's a whole lot of W's out there for you. So three and nine, if you're playing the traditional schedule, Maybe four and eight. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what the original schedule was because the original schedule, it did. Uh, I, I think they had another kind of easier game on there from the ACC. Like la- last year, they didn't get to play who Syracuse, and they would have had Syracuse because it, it's a divisional game. And I know they still had, I believe, Duke on it. I, you can make an argument that they that they could have gone four and eight. I kind of agree with you. It, it would be three and nine, four and eight. The, the games that you didn't end up playing, Clemson and, and, and Florida and UVA, uh, would have, in my opinion, still have been losses. UVA, not a guaranteed one, obviously, uh, but the other two last year, pretty damn sure those are guaranteed losses. So, yeah, I think you're, you're correct there. I, I, I would agree. And hey, n- nowhere, to, uh, nowhere to go but up, right? Probably. Somebody sent me a uh, link of the Clemson Instant Reaction podcast that I did uh, during the season and said that this is definitely the high point of the season. I went and listened to it. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely the high point of the season. You're right. Uh, not having to play Clemson after months of joking about it, seeing the way they responded, uh, avoiding a loss on the field. Yeah, yeah it was a, that was a, a fun Saturday morning there. So, uh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. And hopefully this year is a, a year in which, one, we're not – talking about any kind of uh, adjusted schedules and two, uh, one of which Florida State has a, a much better showing on the field from a win-loss standpoint. Uh, Chris comes with a third question tonight. He says, with all the news swirling about the NIL and the changes that it will bring over the next decade, uh, that's name and likeness, uh, changes it will bring over the next decade in college football, I got to thinking about how it will affect Florida State in the greater college football landscape. Under the NIL, uh, players will become influencers of sort that are able to profit on their brand through social media outlets. So is it possible that this is finally a chance for Florida State to capitalize on their large, quote, electronic fan base, but has been fond of pointing out fans with 50,000 followers and 50,000 less in donations? Is it possible those followers are actually worth something moving forward? Or am I just examining this situation through garnet and gold glasses? I would say that it is absolutely possible that FSU's very uh, committed online fan base uh, could help kids, certainly. Um, it's a younger fan base, I think, on average than, than other fan bases out there. So I, I, I could see that. Is that a huge advantage? Maybe not. There's a, an issue here where because the NCAA and schools are, are kind of colluding to limit how much money these players can make in, in certain circumstances uh, where you're not supposed to get a whole lot of money uh, more than your your uh, actual social media value is, right? There's sort of 
like accepted rates where if you get a whole lot more than that, compliance is going to say, wait a sec, why are you getting this much more per social media posts than Kim, Kim Kardashian does? You know what I mean? So anything that you can do to help an athlete's social media following and his engagement will increase his earning power. FSU fans already do this in large numbers. They're all over Twitter. I think they're a pretty active you know, Twitter and social media fan base. Uh, so I definitely think that there is something to this. I just don't know if it's going to be like a complete game changer. Well, yeah, it'll be really interesting. I know the question was uh, was siloed on football and then certainly the general uh, theme of which this podcast is built around. But it'll be fascinating to see what it does in general. I mean, it will be a... I've been looking at these numbers, uh, don't have all of them, but it'd be a great opportunity, you know, as, as the uh, women's softball team is fresh in our mind and the uh, women's uh, soccer team, you know, a lot of these players have massive social media followings, Instagram in particular. I, I don't know this, uh, but of the more recent Florida State athletes, I believe that uh, Danny Castellanos with 2.4 million followers on Instagram is actually the most popular Florida State athlete uh, you know, within the last 10 years or so. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it works out throughout, but there's a, you know, certainly a broader uh, spectrum that uh, that maybe the females can capitalize us on as well. I think there's no doubt about it. Um, it actually struck me today that in front of Congress, there were really, nobody was representing uh, women's athletes. I'm like, you know, honestly, we looked into this when we, we were doing social media graphics. Some of the highest, like most profitable Influencers are going to be women. It's not that all the women's sports are the most popular, although some certainly are. There's a lot of reasons why you know, people get followers and advertisers don't necessarily care, right? They just, they, they just want to see that follower number and that engagement number, especially if the product is something that is not necessarily only going to be used by women. If it's the case where you have, you know, a whole lot of followers of the opposite sex for whatever reason, you know, it, it's interesting if you go down. For instance, like the the list of women's college basketball players who have the most followers, some of them are really good, and some of them are not good at all. There's not quite a strong correlation. I think on the men's side, there actually is a decent correlation between how good you are and how many followers you have on social media. Not not perfect, obviously, and some of it does have to do with uh, looks. And also what position you play. You could be the best damn offensive guard in the country, but unless you have sort of a gimmick, like the guy that was at the combine with his with his you know belly out or the senior bowl rather, uh, with, with with his gut out, you know, uh, hanging out of his jersey, you may not get that much uh, love on social media. But I think you're right there to note that it's not going to be be just the men. I, do you think that the curve is going to be a little bit steeper on the women's side? Where like the highest earners on the women's side will make just as much, if not more, than the men, but the drop off might be steeper. Yeah, the drop. I mean, the drop off will be precipitous, certainly, and it'll. You know, I don't know that they'll make more than the men, but it'll certainly be interesting to see that they'll have a opportunity to uh, leverage. You know, like I said, uh, a lot of these uh, females have a significant social media following and, you know, for whatever reason it may be, it's there. And, uh, I wish them the best luck and in, in trying to, you know, monetize that to the fullest capacity. Michael writes, uh, here, this is an interesting one, uh, caught my attention. Certainly based on all the information we have thus far, including re- recruiting momentum, 
what would you put the percentage at of Mike Norvell and company being successful at Florida State? Let's break down the term successful to one. <laughs> there's, there's no low bars here. I'll put it that way. One, winning a national championship. Two, winning 10 regular season games consistently. Three, winning at least one ACC championship. Four, beating Clemson. Oh, man. Um, God, these are, these are pretty, uh, pretty ambitious goals. Yeah. Steep. I had a conversation with somebody today on the phone. And, you know, I was talking about how impressed I was with the job that Mike Norvell was doing, taking care of all the little things, setting himself up in this program up to really capitalize if things break, break right for them as far as, you know, getting decent injury luck and you know, maybe finding a way to scrap and claw and, and you know, fight in, in getting six wins, you know, may, maybe doing better in a future year and just setting yourself up and understanding you probably are going to have decent patience from the administration because you know, Mike does seem to be pretty organized behind the scenes. But I also said, look, man, there's a real chance that being a new coach in the early signing era with COVID hitting immediately upon being, being, uh, being hired, we could look back in five years and say, yeah, you know what? Ultimately that was too much to overcome. It was just really crappy luck. And you know, what, what wasn't able to get over that? Too much of a setback initially with the roster. That's also possible, guys. Like, I'm not going to BS you and, and claim that this this thing is absolutely one million percent going to be a success. I would say winning a national championship, uh, half of a percent. So basically, two hundred to one. Ten regular season games consistently. That's the second barometer. Wait, oh, oh wait, is this is this all time or is this just for this year? No, I don't think. I think it's. I read this to be more like a five year window, not not necessarily like next year. Okay. Um, I need to maybe rethink that then because I don't know if I really want to give people 200 to one uh, for all time. You know, because like you, you could catch, what if AJ Duffy's the real deal? You could catch lightning in a bottle and get there. Was it Meyer Lansky, the, the uh, mobster that was so great at like instantly producing odds? Uh, there's, there's elements of him uh, that I laugh at and see in you sometimes, <laughs> bud, both with the seriousness that you take that and with some of the accuracy that you produce. Um, so look, I'll define, cons- I'll define success as three years finishing uh, in and around the top 15 with maybe a plus minus a three. So, you know, if you finish 17 one year, I'm not going to say, oh, this is wildly, uh, you know, the train's gone off the tracks. Uh, as far as the likelihood that I think that is going to occur based off the direction that we're moving uh, I could, I would, you know, look, this is not a science, but I would loosely put that at somewhere around 70 in the, in the mid seventies. I think Florida state is doing uh, the right and proper steps to reestablish itself as a very good college football program. Once you get there, you can hope to have a little bit of luck, maybe sign a, a you know, generational talent or two and try to take the next step. But uh, as far as kind of, reaffirming, uh, reestablishing themselves as, uh, you know, one of the broader 10, 20 best programs in the country. Uh, I, I think Florida State's very much on the right track to do that. I, I would agree with that. Um, so specific percentages, I would say, I'm going to cut my national championship, Mike Norvell. I'm not going to say 200 to one. I'll, I'll say like, I don't know, 75 to one. Winning 10 regular season games consistently have you seen the future schedules? FSU is not setting itself up for success in the polls with its future schedules. They're setting themselves up for uh, exciting games, 
and selling tickets, but they're not setting themselves up to be a consistent top 10 team or to win 10 regular season games with the way they're scheduling right now. Just they're not. I'm, I'm going to pull this up real fast just to, uh, to refresh your recollection here. No reason to worry about Georgia, LSU, or Alabama, bud. Nothing. Yeah, it's like, what, 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 are, we, what are we doing here? Uh, so 2022, uh, you get LSU in New Orleans. Uh, 23, you get LSU in, uh, in Orlando. Um, 24, you are at Notre Dame. You're playing Florida all these years as well. Uh, 25, Alabama. 26, at Alabama. 27, Georgia. 28, at Georgia. And then 29 to 30, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. I think we're probably going to have an expanded playoff by 2025, 2026. So maybe at that point, going undefeated or, or you know, being 10 and 2 is not as important as you know, getting a couple of decent wins and, and some competitive games because of the at-large capability and because of the likelihood you'll have auto bids for conference champions. But still, man, this is not a this is not a scheduling philosophy that is set up to consistently have yourself near the top of the polls. It's just not. It's a, it's a scheduling philosophy to sell tickets. It, it, that is a choice made by the athletics administration. If you ask Mike Norvell and you hit him with the truth serum, you think uh, you, th- you think he likes this? It's an iconic brand with an aggressive schedule, but uh, Ding, no, iconic no, brand. I mean, there you go. Yeah, he, no, he would not. He loves that iconic I mean, look, brand. You, you schedule to get wins, and yeah, what I what I said a second ago. It's scheduled to sell tickets. It's scheduled to grab paychecks, and uh, you know, hopefully, you'll be in a better place in a couple of years to compete uh, with some of those programs that we've talked about, and not make scheduling a you know a detriment to uh, trying to climb back to being a respectable college football program. So uh, the final two here, uh, beating Clemson, I'll say, uh, well, DJ is going to be here two more years. 80% that Mike Norvell beats Clemson at some point. Okay. That, that is more optimistic than I'm uh, expected out of you. That's, uh, that's good to hear. And then winning at least one ACC championship obviously has to be a little bit lower than just beating Clemson, but it's going to be higher than my you know, 75 to one for the natty at any point. Um, so I'll say, I don't know, 40% chance he gets at least one. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what, what has a much higher chance than that though, is your chance of having a great experience. If you go with the legendary team for your home loan, I talked, I talked to Shannon this morning, talked to Chad via text. They're really excited about some things they have in the pipeline, including, and not yet, but but pretty soon, Ingram, we might be able to help out our Nolcast listeners in states outside of Florida. I think Shannon, uh, it, you've talked to him more recently, but Shannon is is on the on the uh, the the crust of being able to start working with our Georgia listeners, and uh, I think he's got Tennessee up next as well. And I think Chad is taking North Carolina. Good luck to those guys on their tests, obviously, this week at, or is it next week? I, I forgot what, what when he said the actual test was. I know it's coming up. Uh, but uh, obviously getting, getting those licensing uh, requirements done in those states is awesome. We're really encouraged by the growth of legendary home loans. Uh, I, I won't say they couldn't have done it without NOLCAST listeners, but certainly, I mean, when I think we're at 160 now, 160 NOLCAST listeners decided to go, go, go to those guys for their loan or their refi. Big time deal, 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Give them a shout. Tell them we sent you. 
Question number five comes from Matt tonight. Matt writes, we see the momentum that Norvell and company have generated on the recruiting trail. I'm excited about the buzz around the program and have, certainly have faith in Norvell over the long haul. The momentum feels good, but can you contrast this with the recruiting minimum that Willie appeared to have when he was getting high-profile recruits to campus? Uh, and there appeared to be a decent chance of signing a large group of four or five stars. Uh, I suppose I'm just a typical Noel fan these days and perhaps waiting for something to go horribly wrong. Well, um, I have some good news. First, I'm going to say something that's going to sound like bad news, and then I'm going to hit you with some good news. So the bad news is, is that I really don't think there's that much of a difference in terms of the excitement about the relationships being built. You can go back and find really identical quotes that top recruits were saying about Willie Taggart and his staff, right? They were really good about building excitement and building relationships with a lot of kids. Norvell's staff is very aggressive and they're pretty creative and they're doing a lot of the same things. The biggest thing FSU has going for it right now is the lack of space that a lot of other programs are going to have. I think FSU is going to clean up, not with the top 100 kids, and probably not with the top 150 kids, but kids in that sort of 200 to 450 range where a school like an Alabama or a Georgia or maybe a Florida or a Clemson or you know, name, name some other school, maybe an LSU or somebody has to pass on them. And normally when they pass on a kid, it can, it can indicate bad things, right? It's like, oh, maybe they know something like because they, they, have, they have the ability to be super picky about stuff. Not so much Florida, but like you know, the, the Clemsons and, and the Alabamas and whatnot. Maybe they know something. Maybe, maybe they don't like this kid quite as much as, as you would you'd hope they would as far as indicating how good the player is. This year, they might have to pass on kids they really, really like just due to space. Willie Taggart's staff did not have that going for them. Mike Norvell's staff does. I do not think that uh, Mike Norvell's staff is targeting too many players that it won't be able to get, right? Like, are they running second right now or third for Earl Little Jr.? Sure. I could see a scenario in which they get him. Like, I think it's basically them and Miami for Julian Armella. I know he has the top seven. I'm not really sure how many of those top seven he could actually commit to if he called him up, you know? I, so I think they're, that that they have going for them is really good. They also have a number of guys who are making really good relationships with kids. We spoke about how impressed we both are with Coach Alex Atkins. We think he's a future head coach. Marcus Woodson does a very nice job for them. I actually think John Papuchas, the defensive ends coach, is sort of a, like a sneakily good recruiter for those guys. Um, Yak, obviously, you know, you know, Yak is. I mean, there's certainly questions I have about the recruiting ability of some guys on the staff, but for the most part, he seems to have guys who, who recruit pretty well. They've made some good, you know, I, another area I'd like to point out is maybe not all the back office hires I'm super impressed with, but at least some of them I are, or I, I am uh, more impressed with than the back office recruiting people that Willie had personally, right? I think you have some folks back there who are pretty dynamic, and I think you have relatively few, uh, especially among the new folks, who are incompetent. And that's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's good to know that that is your opinion of the people that have been employed and employed recently. Yeah, it's just interesting to hear. I mean, it, there are certainly are some similarities. Uh, I would say that, and maybe this is just retrospect, 
that there's a hell of a lot better foundation being built on some of this re- recruiting success and relationships that are being built. Uh, I know, you know, Willie had his, uh, had his moments and, and had, uh, you know, my general feedback that I got from people is that Willie was exceptionally dynamic with both prospect and parent when it came to first impression. And, and then maybe it, you know, fell off a little bit from there. Communication was not always as, as consistent as it needed to be, for sure. It was not, no. Uh, and once you had a chance to, you know, get those people to campus a second time or whatever else, there were just there were hiccups. There were there were problems. Uh, I do think that the success that Norvell and company have experienced so far, uh, they're in a much better position uh, to kind of ride that wave out. And it's not some kind of uh, you know wildly uh, inconsistent EKG of a recruitment with people. So uh, I know there's some similarities and I agree with you, Matt, uh, but I do think that there, there's a little bit of a, a different element here. And, and look, you know, we've talked all about some of the logistical challenges that, that Willie had and whether you want to blame him or back office, whatever, um, you know, just again, how many of those 3000 kids that they had out there are ever going to be prospects that appear on Florida state board? Who knows? Um, can you take away a pretty significant, um, you know, can you glean an ideas to the organizational levels of the football program right now based off the fact that they're able to conduct a camp like that and execute it at the level they did? Yeah, I think you can. So uh, I do think there's a little bit different of a, of a situation compared to two or three years ago. I think that's fair. All right. Now, if they go four and eight, we need to revisit this conversation. Probably. Right. Because it, to me, it is hard to, to separate like the hindsight bias. Certainly. Yeah, uh, we will. But if, you know, we will need to go back and revisit it. And maybe if they go four and eight, we probably will hear some crazy stories uh, about recruits, parents getting left on the side of the road or whatever. You know, I mean, yeah, there'll there'll probably be some things that we have to really scratch our head and wonder about. But I I do think from a general organizational standpoint, uh, they're much better prepared to weather a storm uh, based off some of the depth of relationship that maybe they've uh, been able to get out and try to establish with some of these kids. Exactly. And probably a much more realistic message being given to them and their parents as to what, uh, you know, what the, <laughs> what the months of September through December are going to look like this year. Uh, question number six, Matt's second question is, is an interesting team. He writes, how do you see potential legislation uh, allowing athletes to form unions impacting FSU and college football as a whole? I have not really considered the specific ramifications that unionization legislation would have for FSU. Have you? No, I have not. I was going to uh, to probably give most of this question to you. Uh, you're a little bit more familiar with it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure what that would look like or how that would impact Florida State, other than some of the obvious ones about some of the immediate impacts as far as uh, well, you can look at any union uh, that gets installed as far as like work workplace precautions and some things like that. Uh, I imagine there'll probably be some impacts on like concussion protocols and stuff like that. Um, but uh, things that are unique to Florida State, maybe we table this one and come back to it in two weeks or something like that, because I, I don't know that I'm in a place to give a real uh, informative answer. I think that's fair. I, I just I, I don't know why Florida State would be that much different than any other school. You know what I mean? I, maybe, maybe I am really missing something here. Is Matt trying to get at something here on this? You think? No, I mean it's Florida State and college football as a whole. So I don't. I think he's 
more just interested in the, the general impact of it. All right. Um, so Mark writes, uh, I'll hope you feel your con- contractual obligations for Travis Hunter here. We we're all excited about him and hoping he's kind of a turning point for this program going forward. My question is, what if he doesn't work out for some reason? We've seen a lot of highly rated DBs come through recently that have fallen flat. He includes Tate, which I think it's a little early to include Demari Tate in this. He's been on campus for, what, one year and has been hurt? Probably not real fair. Uh, Lars Woodby, A.J. Lighton, Dent, who, again, hadn't been able to stay healthy, really. Jay, kind of the same thing. I, I, don't think, uh, uh, I don't think several of those, honestly, are very fair. They have a lot more football ahead of them than they have behind them. Uh, what kind of impact does uh, does this have if he just doesn't have it? More or less of an impact than those previous guys. I mean, I don't. First of all, I, I think it's it's very unlikely that, that Eddie fails. I mean, he's he's a better prospect than basically all those guys by by his rating. Second, like I, I don't I don't really agree with the premise of the question. I, I don't think those guys, for the most part, have totally fallen flat. Do you? Maybe I'm being a homer here. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, we'll have to see what it looks like on some of those guys. I mean, the. Uh, uh, the Tate and Jay one were the two ones that popped to mind uh, that I weren't sure should should necessarily be in there quite yet, and Dent still has some time. I mean, look, you know, look if he comes and and is a a nothing contributor, then that'll certainly be tough to swallow, and perhaps turns into something that you're negatively recruited on. But I mean, that's just going to happen in general, and you certainly eagerly take the chance that he comes here and he looks like the best player in the country, who may be the best wide receiver, the best DB uh, in, in this year's class. I just think it's a, I understand what he's saying, but look, uh, he's, he's as talented as a kid that is signed with Florida state. If he ultimately signs, uh, it's the, taking place in 10 years or so at least. And there's like no correlation between those guys and Travis Hunter and FSU's ultimate track record of turning highly rated defensive backs into pros is just about as good as anybody in the country. And if you're successful, you're recruiting a lot of kids uh, who are highly acclaimed from high school. And some of them pan out, some of them don't. It'll suck. It'll be, (laughs) I'm not sure I could have foreseen myself as being this close to 40 and being this caught up uh, in how good a player ultimately is. Uh, But uh, if Hunter comes here and and is a disappointment, then that'll be a tough bill to swallow. But at the same time, uh, you signed a kid that's, you know, as dynamic a player in his class certainly seems to have as much pull as any kid in this class, uh, and will you know be an, an asset to the program, sure, purely based off uh, some of the positive ancillary benefits that he provides to this year's class and the 2023 class. So I don't think there's a whole lot that can go wrong uh, once you get a once you get a signature in writing from one Mr. Hunter. All right, we'll uh, move on to the eighth question. But before doing so, always thank our friends at Madison Social. Uh, talk to Matt Thompson today. Uh, just a guy that, you know, loves Florida State athletics at a, a level that few do. And it doesn't take a whole uh, lot of hard work or focus to see that uh, love of, of Florida State athletics, whether it be the football team, softball team, uh, or any of the other programs at Florida State Fields. And, you know, see that passion pour out in his business, uh, whether it be some of the shirts they make, Uh, or just the general support and kind of overall enhancement that we frequently talked about uh, of the experience of being a Florida State athletic supporter. So whether it's grabbing a a beer at Madison Social or a pretzel at Township or two beers at Township for that matter, uh, just encourage you to continue to support a longtime listener and supporter of the Nolcast in uh, the For the Table restaurant group, uh, Matt Thompson and his team over there at MadSo. 
Township and uh, the new Charlie Park project that we're also excited about. Great people that we're ever so fortunate to be able to partner with. No doubt, man. It was awesome getting over there again, and I can't wait to get back. So let's go ahead and take the question eight. Uh, Hunter asks, uh, not Travis Hunter, I assume. Uh, since visit season is back, I've recently wondered how recruits are able to take as many unofficial, vis- unofficial visits as they do, uh, especially the schools requiring plane travel and then staying two or three days. This would certainly bust my travel budget very quickly. The schools have quote-unquote travel agents that are able to find an unheard of deals for special recruits. <laughs> uh, wow, we find a $5, found a $5 round trip plane ticket and a $2 hotel room next to campus. Uh, is this just another part of the shadow recruiting world that everybody pays uh, or that everybody plays with, but nobody missed to. Thanks as always for the content. Well, Ingram, can you help me find a flight from like Lauderdale or Palm Beach to Knoxville direct for under a hundred dollars? Um, yeah, because last year you I'll, could. I'll certainly look, but uh, yeah, was that made available to a select few? It was. It was weird. I was like, who is flying directly from Lauderdale to Knoxville for super cheap? Like, is that a popular hub? You think, that, you think that's a well-trafficked route? No, I can't imagine. There's a East Tennessee is necessarily a a major air, you know, corridor of air activity. I'm not alleging anything nefarious there, by the way, with the University of Tennessee. I I, I think that the city of Knoxville is probably just yeah. Just, that's that's the Better Business Bureau doing that. But I think Knoxville is having an affair with Lauderdale Chamber of Commerce trying to get uh, trying to get some people up from. For season there to escape some of those hot South Florida temperature. Yeah, no. Correct. Yeah. Um, look, guys, show's not on video yet, but if you could see me staring at the camera, number one, families save up for this. They work hard. They scrap their money together. They realize that it's really important for a player of that caliber to make the right decision, and they go to a lot of camps and a lot of places. Oftentimes, family members will help out. Don't fool yourself into thinking that every single unofficial visit is paid for by some nefarious booster. Also, don't fool yourself into thinking that every single parent is, is footing the bill for every single unofficial visit. There's a middle ground here, right? Sometimes a high school coach gets slipped a couple bucks for gas money or an uncle or a handler or you know an agent or whatever you want to call them. If your school wants a kid to visit bad enough and they have a good relationship with the kid, there are ways to help that player come see your school, even if it involves a plane ticket in the unofficial realm. Is that legal? No. Is it immoral? I mean, I, I, if you think it is, I'm really interested in what, what else fall, like it kind of runs afoul of your moral code. We're going we're gonna to have an underprivileged kid get to visit a university so he can figure out where he wants to go to school? Yeah. Uh, so certainly there is some element to that. Uh, but you don't want to besmirch all, all the players because like some don't do that. It's not every single kid. Some of them don't. Some of these parents are um, destitute. Some of them are not. You know, some of these parents are are relieved at the idea that they're not going to be paying college tuition and, and can you know have a little bit more uh, financial freedom when it comes to that. Uh, it, you know, the team is truly made up of uh, you know of. It's across the board. I'll put it that way. Certainly, socioeconomics are uh, the way they are, and a lot of these players uh, don't come from the greatest of, uh, of backgrounds when it comes to financial support. But uh, yeah, there's ways to do it, and a lot of times, uh, particularly during the summer uh, period of time, you know, you'll have kids that'll visit seven different campuses in ten days or something like that. A lot of times, there's a, 
a group thing where, uh, you know, guys from say Chicago or, or the Midwest will come down and take a look at Tuscaloosa, uh, Knoxville, Athens, Tallahassee, Gainesville, and, and then make their way back up uh, to wherever. So during the summer months, there's a, sometimes you can have a little bit more freedom with how that takes place. And like you said, not everything's uh, nefarious, but uh, not everything's above the board either. Yeah. Also, uh, I guess the third thing we, we should mention here, and this is actually legal, it's just you got to be careful with it. Sometimes your walk-ons come from really rich families. And if they happen to have come from a good high school too, that has a lot of prospects, maybe they fund a bus trip from that high school or give the head coach a little bit extra money. I do think there's a decent correlation between like your walk-ons and parents who are like very invested in sports, you know, and are, are like parents that go to all the all their son's sports games and uh, really are are like obsessed with how they're doing and you know are true believers that like their walk-on kid is going to get in the game and play. I, I know some people like that. I was like, man, that, I don't know. Like, would you want your son to be a, like a, a walk-on tackling dummy, knowing there's basically no chance he's going to get to play? Uh, but at the same time, like if he loves the game, do you want to be the guy that denies him that chance to, to, to keep playing? You know. But anyway, there's a lot of times they're they're pretty well moneyed and uh, and that they can help with the visit costs as well. And that doesn't even necessarily involve the school, although it, it, it could in theory. Interesting question, Hunter. Good for us to be able to jump into that. I'm not sure that's a subject matter necessarily that we've been able to devote five or eight minutes to like that uh, previously. So. Uh, next question comes from Thomas. Thomas writes, I was listening to another Florida State podcast recently, and one of the hosts said he expects Florida State to take close to double digits in the transfer portal again next year. Ingram, bud, do you see that level of reliance on the portal yet again? Wait. Well, I know it's not on the bench saying that they expect FSU to take double-digit transfers again. Yeah, the, the listener put the podcast name in here. I took it out. I don't really want to get into a... I did go and listen to it and confirm that you know, it's not that I think some of our listeners are going to lie to you, but if you have, it's better to go back and listen to somebody actually say something like that. Let me put it that way. I believe the number was maybe nine or somewhere in that area. So I don't know. I don't think that's going to be the case. I do think Florida State may be historically maybe a little bit more involved in the portal than other schools. I've talked about this on previous podcasts, uh, both of of where they're located and where talent tends to return to, at least what it looks like in the initial years of the portal. Uh, I also think that there may be a little bit of a money ball situation for Florida State to try to fill some of these higher profile positions that are particularly <laughs> resource exhaustive on the trail to get the biggest and best of the high school kids. Maybe you can, you know, uh, try to fill an offensive tackle or two in the portal or something like that. So I do think Florida State's going to be a little bit more involved than your average program. Uh, but no, I mean, they want to build this, in my opinion, anyways, let me put it that way. They want to build this through high school kids. I'm hesitant to give numbers, but I would guess the windows more, you know, maybe th as low as three, high as six, something like that. And six probably stretching it. I fully expect this class to be heavily, heavily built around high school kids. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it'll be like half of nine, maybe four transfers maybe five. I, I I would just be absolutely shocked if they if they hit double digits, to be honest. Just given the quality of high school player, I expect them to be able to, to be in on. They're just in such a unique situation because they have taken fewer high school players in the last couple of years than many other schools have, you know? 
And that's that means you have more spots. A lot of these schools just don't have spots this year for high school players, or at least at this point, they're they're saying that they don't. And you could say, yeah, but they're they can all, they, they're of course going to bitch and moan and, and say they don't have it right now, and that's fine. But when they're telling me, hey, we only have five spots, how, how much is that really going to going to expand? I don't know, ten for other schools. That's just kind of my my thought on that. All right, let's finish strong here. We got a couple more. Uh, Bobby has a gambling question for Bud. That's me. Recently on the cover three, you said making season record bets is not ideal unless you're using credit or house money. If I was going to bet $140, tip as you win seven games, would it be smarter betting $20 each game versus the season bet? Well, let me clarify this because I, I did want to. What I said was I didn't really love betting season win totals that were not ending in a half game. Because the ones that have the, the strong push percentage, you're putting your money aside for the whole season. And that means you can't be betting it again and again and again during the season. If you are a losing player, that's actually a decent thing for you because it makes it you're going to lose less money before season. If you're a winning player, that is a hindrance to your ability to have liquidity with your betting bankroll. That way, if you have access to credit accounts, be they you know, through illegal means or a book here and offshore, that is probably a better place where you want to put that kind of stuff down because you're not having to put your actual cash down up front, if, if that makes sense. Uh, would it be smarter betting $20 each game versus a season bet? Bobby, that, that's a tough question. If you want to email me separately about that, I, can, I could maybe just run the odds for you. Uh, but the issue is that there is no... I don't know what odds you're getting to win seven games because the over-under for FSU is five and a half. I can tell you what the odds are that they get six games, right? But I don't know what odds Vegas or some casino is offering uh, on winning at least seven. To my knowledge, sort of like the alternate pricing for different type of totals other than just the, the standard market total, which is five and a half right now, I have not seen any alternate total. So just to let you all know, like Vegas may throw out an alternate total like FSU over under seven wins or you know, to the downside, FSU over under four wins, right? I don't think they would do seven and four because they'd probably get pretty one way action on that stuff. I could see them maybe doing, you know, five and six or four and a half, six and a half potentially with some pretty interesting odds attached to it. But I really can't answer the question is it better to do the season bet or individual games without knowing what odds you're getting uh, on, on that season long bet, unfortunately. Before we get to our final two questions of the night, we will thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity has been uh, great for the Nolcast. It's been a great partner for, uh, I believe, three businesses now uh, since uh, partnered with us seven or eight months ago. It is, uh, it's very much kind of a small business, or at least you get the service of a small business, uh, individual attention. Uh, Matt Lewis and his team do a, a fantastic job and have provided a, a great amount of value. Uh, to to our listeners so far, and uh, at the same time, you know they have all the resources that are necessary and, and capital behind them uh, to be as positive an influence on your business as possible. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized. You can reach our friend Matt at eight four four two four seven forty one hundred or Knowles N O L E S at congruityhr.com. All right, so uh, Santosh asks, can you talk about the impact on the twenty twenty one season due to the loss of Destin Hill at receiver? Also, does open up a spot, a scholarship spot? If so, there's potential candidate transfer receiver coming to be an immediate contributor. I'm not ready to say that Destin Hill is a loss, right? Like, 
I think there's absolutely a situation where he shows up on campus in the fall. Or hell, maybe for summer C, which which hasn't started yet. I, I'm not going to go there and assume that just because he's not here yet does not mean that he won't be at FSU ever or you know this, this fall. If he doesn't play this season, definitely hurts. He's one of the most dynamic playmakers that you could have on the team, even if he lacks experience, just his athleticism and playmaking ability uh, is one of the things that made him basically the best recruit that you signed last year, uh, or, or one of them at least. And uh, that would be that'd be big. As far as a transfer receiver who is an immediate contributor, I don't know of one right now in the portal. Um, but I also really haven't been looking a whole lot at that because I don't. If there was somebody who FSU thought they would be an immediate contributor in the transfer portal, I think they'd probably be going after him right now. The last guy you get in the transfer portal is, well, I can't say this. If somebody else jumps in, then things could change. Right now, I don't think there are a whole lot of studs out there in the transfer portal that are still waiting forever to make their decision. Yeah, I've seen some feedback on our Hill conversation from uh, previous podcast. Just, you know, if if, uh, I was unclear or marble mouth this in any way, I don't think this, in in fact, I'm pretty sure this is not a recruitment that's still going or Florida State hasn't made any errors in this recruitment. It's just a situation that ultimately is going to have to play itself out. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the fact that he signed the the Granin, you know, the... uh, The Granade, yeah. On the Granade, thank you. And not the letter of intent. It's the same thing Dalvin did, by the way. You remember how FSU was able to discuss Dalvin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned this. More kids do this than people realize. And I would not interpret that fact and pair it with the fact that he isn't on campus and read into the fact that this is still uh, an ongoing recruitment or that Florida State is, has uh, you know, done something wrong here. It's just something that we're going to have to see how it plays out. And uh, hopefully Hill can be on campus as soon as possible. Yeah, and just to be clear, I, I do not know exactly what's going on. I just told you what I did know, which was that uh, somebody who would know said that he had good grades and uh, like it would not be an academic type situation and that he had signed like a grant aid, not a, an NLI. That's what I know at this point. So you know, I wish I knew more. And then Connor asks, anything to Atkins being linked to the offensive line opening. We actually did discuss this on last, uh, not last night's, but Monday night's show. That was a jam-packed show, by the way. And uh, with, with that, I believe Atkins was somebody that LSU probably wanted to talk to. Um, but I believe that, uh, that Atkins has been taken care of by the Knowles with, with a new deal. Uh, school has not announced that yet, but I imagine at some point they will. That's just the intel that I have that uh, they, they, they took care of him pretty well. We also discussed on, on the last show that uh, Alex Atkins has bigger plans than just being an offensive line coach. And that just from my sources, it's not likely that he's going to move to another school to be an offensive line coach elsewhere, right? If he gets an awesome coordinator job, like Nick Saban called Alex Atkins and said, hey, man, would you like to be my offensive coordinator? Bill O'Brien is just not working out. It turns out he's a jerk and, you know, or something like that, because he didn't work out all that well in the NFL. At that point, we might have to do an emergency podcast, you know, because I think that's something that might interest him. But I know Alex Atkins really likes Mike Norvell, uh, is learning a lot from Mike Norvell, and uh, ultimately uh, believes that, uh, you know, being here in Tallahassee is uh, is good for his career. 
Guys, that is a that'll probably be the end of our listener question episode. Some great questions there. Really support, really appreciate the support we receive. Uh, whether it be uh, those of you who have joined us uh, as Patreon supporters, it's uh, patreon.com backslash nullcast if you have any interest in getting involved. Uh, but yeah, I look two shows, two days. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, get on social media and enjoy a softball national championship tomorrow afternoon. Uh, but for now, this has been uh, the Nolcast. If you have a chance to give us a five-star review wherever you may find us uh, via your uh, podcast provider, and uh, maybe you look for a new podcast provider. That's an interesting little space right now. Uh, but nonetheless, enjoyed it as always, bud, and we will be back uh, sometime in the near future, uh, if not the beginning of next week. No doubt. Listen to us on Spotify, please. Apple is mega inconsistent. See y'all. Five stars on Apple if you can log in. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.